Chapter 4 Watch and Be Ready by George Muller. In the days of the Apostles, the disciples were comforted and encouraged by the prospect of the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. An angel had said to them, as they watched the Lord depart from the earth, Scripture, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Acts 1 11. This was the hope of the church, and it should have remained this way up to his actual return. His coming should have continued to be the hope of the church, but this, sadly, for centuries has not been the case. In confessions of faith, the truth that the Lord Jesus will come again may still have a place, but practically, for way too many of his disciples, it has been a mere doctrinal statement that has not been enjoyed and which has had no influence upon their lives. The Lord, however, desired it should be otherwise. He intended that his church should look for him, that she should watch and wait for his return. Again and again during his personal ministry, the Lord Jesus foretold this great event, and after his ascension, the apostle referred continually to it. Many, many passages of Scripture might be quoted in proof of this assertion, but I will only mention the following. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Matthew 25, 31. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 2-3. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await Him. Hebrews 9, 27-28. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. These quotations suffice to prove that the second coming of the Lord Jesus means that He will return in person, and they have no reference to the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, or to His manifesting Himself in a special manner to the believer in the way of comfort, instruction, or help of any kind, nor have they reference to our death when we, as believers, are taken to be with Him. If, however, anyone should say, Why stress this so much? Is not our going to Him when we die the same thing? The reply is, There is a vast difference between these two events. Not death. 1. As individuals, we will at that time be brought only to a state of partial happiness. We will not have glorified bodies then, but must await the hour when, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15.52. Nor, when we fall asleep, die, do we reign with Christ and sit with Him upon His throne, because He will not be manifestly reigning then. As blessed therefore as it is for the child of God when He departs 
to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 8, it will be unspeakably more blessed still to enter upon that fullness of glory that awaits us only at our Lord's return. 2. Satan will not be bound until Jesus comes again, and for this reason, by the permission of God, he still has power here, both in the world and in the church, though individuals are out of his reach who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And 3. The whole church will be introduced at the same time to full eternal happiness and glory at our blessed Lord's return. Not only as individuals will our cup of joy be full to overflowing, but we will also rejoice throughout eternity with the whole company of the redeemed. Coming Events I now proceed to briefly consider some of the events that will take place then. 1. The first resurrection is when the changed and risen saints will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air to be forever with Him. At this time, only those who, as believers in the Messiah under the Old Covenant dispensation, or as disciples of the Lord Jesus under that of the New Covenant, and have fallen asleep in Him, will be raised. The commonly received opinion is that at our Lord's return there will be a general resurrection, both of believers and unbelievers. The Holy Spirit teaches in the Holy Scriptures that they who are Christ's, and only they, will have a part in the first resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15.22-23 we read thus, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Emphasis added. Notice the words, those who are Christ's. This means not everyone who had previously died, but those only who through faith in Jesus are united to Him and have fallen asleep as believers. The same truth is taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, where we read, The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Emphasis added. Notice that it says only the dead in Christ will rise at that time. Scripture Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 11-15 How the solemnity 
and certainty of these events should come home to every one of us, and with what earnestness should each person who reads or hears these lines seek upon scriptural grounds to settle for himself that he is really Christ's. By nature we are lost, ruined, and undone, and deserve nothing but punishment, but we have at the same time to accept God's only remedy, namely, salvation through faith in the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom alone spiritual life, pardon, and justification can be obtained. 2. The Conversion and Restoration of Israel Nationally In Scripture, the glory and resurrection of the church of the firstborn ones are always connected with the time when Israel, who will have returned to their own land in unbelief, will know the Lord. Hebrews 8.11 3. Another event that will take place at the return of the Lord Jesus is when Satan will be bound. Scripture, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. Revelation 20, 1-3. During the present dispensation, before the return of our Lord, Satan will not be bound. Therefore, sin and open wickedness will continue to the end of it, and instead of becoming better, things, according to Scripture, will become worse and worse. It's impossible to shut one's eyes to the fearful wickedness now around us everywhere. Murders of the most cruel character, and numerous other atrocious crimes are, even in this enlightened nineteenth century, continually being committed. How certainly does all this prove that Satan is not yet bound, that he is even now the god of this world and has power still, and because he knows that his time will be comparatively short, he manifests his hatred against God and against his people to the very utmost. But this state of things will not always last. For when Jesus comes again, the enemy will lose his power in the earth, and he will be shut up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. 4. In connection with the return of the Lord Jesus is another event, namely, the separation between the wheat and the tares, which represents Christendom or the professing Church of Christ. Read carefully Matthew 13, 37-40. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. In this parable, together with our Lord's own explanation of it, we see what is to be expected during this present dispensation while Jesus tarries. Civilization, mental cultivation, and advancement in knowledge of every kind may continue to the utmost, but man, fallen man, remains a ruined creature, unless he is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit through the acceptance of the gospel. 
Intellectually, he may be improved and polished to the very highest degree, but he is a sinner, and, in his natural condition, he remains lost, ruined, and undone. He may even possess natural religion and a form of godliness, but if he is not born again, he is still at enmity with God, and as assuredly as he does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.36. Sin is not, as some suppose, a comparatively little thing. It is a deadly spiritual disease, as the Word of God declares it to be, and no progress in education, no mental culture can eradicate it from the heart or change depraved human nature. Notwithstanding every effort at improvement, the heart remains more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Jeremiah 17, 9. Until the return of the Lord Jesus, therefore, the present state of things will continue, and, as we will see now from the Word of God, will become worse and worse. This then plainly shows the notion entertained by many godly, excellent persons that the world will be converted during the present dispensation by the preaching of the gospel, and that the millennium will thus finally be introduced, not to be according to the Holy Scriptures. The gospel indeed is to be preached as a witness to all nations, but it's not to be the means of the conversion of the world. Moreover, we learn the character of the present dispensation, which is that God takes out from among the Gentiles a people for his name, but does not convert all nations. This is confirmed by the parable of the wheat and the tares. For if the whole world were to be converted before the return of the Lord Jesus, there would be no truth in the explanation given of it by our Lord Himself. He tells us that the tares, the children of the wicked one, were to grow together with the wheat, the children of the kingdom, until the end of the age, namely, up to the time of His own return. This, therefore, the word of the Lord Jesus, is in direct opposition to the common notion that the world will be converted prior to His coming again. And in addition to this, we find passage after passage in the New Testament in which we are expressly told, either by Christ or by the apostles, that at the close of the present dispensation, wickedness will abound, both among professed believers and in the world at large, in proof of which I will refer to only one single passage of Scripture. We read in another place, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. 2 Timothy 3, 1-4, emphasis added. Here we have to make sure we keep before us that this is not a description of pagans, but of the professed disciples of the Lord Jesus. For Christendom, or the professing Church of Christ, will be reduced to this state at the end of the present dispensation. Notice especially 
that of these people it is said that they have a form of godliness. They wish to be considered Christians. They are not avowed infidels and atheists, but professed believers. Are we then to expect that things around us will gradually improve, or rather that as we approach the end of the age, the darker they will become? It will be true that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. But this will never be until Jesus himself comes. In the meantime, lawlessness will increase, and the socialism, the communism, the nihilism, etc., of which we hear about so much now, will at last be headed up in the personal Antichrist, the man of sin. This leads me to mention another of the events that will take place at the return of the Lord Jesus, namely, 5. The Destruction of the Antichrist. Scripture Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy, falling away, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-8 We now need to consider that it is the will of the Lord that we, his disciples, should wait for his return. A great many passages might be quoted from the New Testament as proof of this, but for the sake of brevity, I will refer only to a few. In Titus 2, 11-13, we read, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Emphasis added. Notice how it is laid upon the saints to look for the blissful hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Watch. The Lord said to His disciples, Be on the alert. Then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Matthew 25, 13, emphasis added. Again he said, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Mark 13, 35-37, emphasis added. Again, the Lord says, 
Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Revelation 16:15. Now, are we as believers all watching? Are we earnestly longing for the return of that blessed one? Do our hearts truly yearn for him and long for his glorious appearing? Are we also doing our part to hasten his coming? And is it habitually our prayer that the Lord will be pleased to hasten the fulfillment of events yet to be fulfilled before that day comes? Practical Effects And now the last part of our subject remains to be considered, namely the practical effect this truth should have upon our hearts. If it will really be received and entered into, the child of God will say, What can I do for my blessed Saviour before He comes again? How can I glorify Him the most? His will concerning me is that I should do business until He comes. What is the best way to use the talents for Him with which I am entrusted, by physical strength, by mental powers? How can my sight, my tongue, all my faculties of mind and body be best devoted to His praise? How should my time, my money, everything that I am and have be used for Him? How can my whole spirit, soul, and body be best consecrated to His service? These are deeply important practical questions that all believers in the Lord Jesus should ask themselves, seeing that we are not our own, but are bought with a price, even with His precious blood. Instead of indulging in inactivity and listlessness on account of the evil state of things around us, we should pray and work and work and pray, as if it were in our power to stem the torrent of abounding iniquity. Who can say how much good one single child of God who is thoroughly in earnest may accomplish, and how greatly he may glorify God by walking in entire separation from everything that is hateful to him? We especially have to also guard against the temptation of slackening our efforts for the conversion of sinners, because the world will not be converted before Jesus comes. Rather, should we say, the time that he delays his coming may be short. What therefore can I do to warn sinners and to win souls for him? In conclusion, I would direct your attention to 2 Peter 3, 11-14. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. As assuredly as the practical character of the Lord's second coming is really perceived in the power of it, the most blessed effects upon the life and conduct of Christians will follow. By means of it, we are taught what awaits the world lying in the wicked one, and what will be the end of the world's glory, pride, and pomp. The future destiny of the children of God is also unfolded to us, even that we will be perfectly conformed to the image of our risen Lord both in soul and body, when we will see Him as He is.
Then will we enter into the possession of our inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade, and we will be seated with Jesus on His throne to judge the world in union with Him, and to spend a happy eternity together with our Lord in glory. Scripture, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Revelation 22, 12.